The AAO's IRIS registry contains an ocean of data about patients with geographic atrophy in real-world clinical settings. What does a review of that data tell us about characteristics of GA progression in the real world? I'm Scott Chriswanis, he's Greg Notstein, and this is New Retina Radio from Retina Today and Bryn Mawr Communications. Dr. Asan Rahimi explains how he and his colleagues identified 69,000 patients with geographic atrophy in the IRIS registry and explains what they found after crunching the numbers. Will this data affect how clinicians interact with their patients? Listen to our interview to get the latest info from Dr. Rahimi's late-breaking presentation from the AAO 2020 meeting. Tracking real-world data on geographic atrophy secondary to AMD was a patchwork process for many years, during which we relied on natural history studies. Those studies were adequate, but they focused only on a sliver of the GA population. But there is a tool at the disposal of retina doctors that may help shed better light on the characteristics of GA. That tool is the AAO Iris Registry. Dr. Asan Rahimi is here to tell us more about his and his team's research on the IRIS registry in GA, which was shared at the AAO annual meeting late breakers session. Dr. Rahimi is a surgical and medical vitreoretinal specialist at the Palo Alto Medical Foundation in Palo Alto, California. Dr. Rahimi, thank you for joining us. I'm Greg. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Before we get into what I'm sure is going to be a very heavy data discussion, refresh our memories on the IRIS registry. Yeah, so the, the IRIS registry stands for Intelligent Research Insight. Uh, this was established by our American Academy of Ophthalmology. Um, it's the world's largest uh, specialty clinical data registry out there with over 6 million uh, unique patients uh, encompassing in over 18,000 clinicians that are uh, part of it. And when you have access to such large and vast uh, amounts of data that provides a unique opportunity to ask research questions uh, using a different lens uh, than we may be traditionally used to. That sure is a lot of data to sift through. How did you identify the patients you wanted to study? Yeah, so there was a unique set of uh, inclusion and exclusion criteria that were uh, applied. Uh, Patients had to be greater than 50 years uh, of age at the index date. Uh, we used ICD-10 coding, uh, looking for a diagnosis of GA in at least one of their eyes. Uh, we were also required that the fellow eye had uh, geographic atrophy. We required that the eyes had uh, two years of follow-up. And who exactly was excluded from the study? So some of the things that would make sense, if they had a history of neovascular AMD in the study eye prior to the first uh, geographic atrophy event being recorded, then they were excluded uh, from participation. And then patients that had any number of missing demographic information, eye laterality, visual acuity data. Uh, these are some of the things uh, that we deal with in our field when you're dealing with studies that uh, entail big data that you end up having incomplete medical records, incomplete information for patients. So we were made sure to exclude those as well, too. And then if there was any other concurrent retinal condition that may be required treatment, such as uh, diabetic retinopathy, vein occlusion, that may also get anti-vegetative therapy, they were excluded from consideration. Is there anything else that we need to know about patient selection? Uh, well, we looked at patients whose first record of uh, geographic atrophy was in 2016 or 17, as far as the time period, and who had at least two years of follow-up on record. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, once we applied 
uh, all the inclusion and exclusion criteria, that left us with about 69,000 patients. And there was a substantial drop-off, uh, mainly due to patients not being able to maintain the two years of follow-up, as, as we had discussed. And then we actually subclassified these patients into cohorts. We had two cohorts, cohort one and cohort two. And this basically boiled down to uh, the fellow I status. So if a patient had GA in the fellow I, so they had bilateral GA, that was cohort one. And if a patient had neovascular AMD in the fellow I then, and GA in the study I, that was your cohort two. Then within each of these two cohorts, we subdivided them uh, based on the location of the geographic atrophy lesion. So uh, whether they were foveal in location or extrafoveal. So you know, cohort one had two subgroups and cohort two has two subgroups. And the rationale for uh, breaking these down into extrafoveal and foveal locations of the GA just has to do with body of literature that uh, supports that extrafoveal locations uh, have a propensity to progress much more rapidly than, than foveal ones. Okay, got it. So we've got four populations here. We have uh, the bilateral GA group or the group with GA and then wet AMD in the contralateral eye. And then each of those groups is broken down into foveal lesions or extrafoveal lesion groups. What did you find when you examined this data? Just from a baseline uh, demographic perspective, uh, the, the majority of these patients were female, actually 67% in each of the subgroups, and the majority of them were Caucasian, which I was interesting. The majority of these were being were under the care, the treatment of a retina specialist, more as you would anticipate in that second cohort that had neovascular AMD in the LOI. That makes sense because they were receiving uh, intravitreal injections. And then, you know, across visual acuity, as far as at baseline, was roughly equivalent. Patients with uh, foveal GA, as one would anticipate, had slightly lower acuity at baseline than those with extrafoveal. But as I'm sure we'll discuss during the the course of uh, the two years, through year one and year two, patients in all groups showed gradual progressive decline in visual acuity. You said that in the cohort with GA in the study eye and wet AMD in the contralateral eye that a vast majority of them were being seen by retina specialists. What about the patient population that had bilateral GA? Yeah, this was a, an interesting discussion point here because when you looked at the cohort one with bilateral GA, roughly about 55% of these patients, it was close to 24,000 of them, were under the, the care of a retina specialist. Whereas in that second cohort where they had GA in the study eye and uh, neovascular AMD in their fellow eye, that was all the way up to 86%, which we said uh, we can we can make sense of that because they were likely receiving injections. But that uh, group with the bilateral GA, the remaining care providers that were involved, uh, the general ophthalmologist uh, was involved with about 20% of those patients or other specialists to be a glaucoma specialist, for example, with seeing them 18% of the time, 18% of those patients, sorry. And then also the optometrists were involved as well, too. Uh, they were seeing about 6% of those patients in that, that cohort one with bilateral GA. So uh, just goes to show that uh, taking care of these patients is uh, multidisciplinary. Uh, they end up seeing uh, a number of our colleagues. It's not always the retina specialist. What was vision like at baseline for each cohort? Well, Scott, the visual acuity at baseline in the two cohorts, when you looked at uh, cohort one with bilateral GA, cohort two with uh, GA in the study eye, and uh, neovascular AMD in the fellow eye was fairly comparable. Uh, uh, they, they differed in uh, mean ETDRS letters by uh, less than a line of, of vision. Uh, the differences tended to come out more when you were looking at uh, the individual cohort subgroups based on foveal versus extrafoveal GA locations. As you would anticipate, 
those groups with the foveal GA lesions tended to have lower visual acuity uh, compared to the group with extra foveal. So in that cohort one, for example, that had cohort one is bilateral GA, uh, on average, uh, foveal GA lesions had about 59 uh, letters in the ECRS vision compared to the extra foveal GA with close to 68 letters of vision. And again, this makes sense. And then when you looked in at cohort two that had GA in the fellow eye and GA in the study eye and uh, neovascular AMD in the fellow eye, uh, you saw uh, the foveal GA lesions averaged about 47 uh, ECRS letters of vision, whereas the extra foveal GA lesions averaged close to 66 letters. So there was a noticeable difference here based on uh, the location of your geographic atrophy lesions at baseline. You only followed one eye in each patient, the eye that was first diagnosed with GA. Correct. Uh, we actually then were tracking the rates of progression to wet AMD development uh, in the study eye that had the GA. And we were essentially tracking uh, one of three outcomes here. Uh, one was looking at progression of extrafoveal lesions, the foveal lesions of geographic atrophy. Uh, the second will be looking at progression of extrafoveal GA to neovascular AMD. And the third was looking at progression of foveal geographic atrophy to neovascular AMD. And uh, one thing that was very interesting, we noted, and this was a difference in the two cohorts, was Eyes that already had neovascular macular degeneration in their fellow eye had a much higher propensity to go on and develop uh, wet AMD in the study eye with uh, the GA. So it was almost a magnitude of threefold higher uh, than the group that had the bilateral GA lesions. And, and that was a, a notable finding. What data did you find on visual acuity? Great question, Greg. So during this two-year period, we were tracking uh, vision loss in our study eyes. And Perhaps unsurprisingly, eyes that had better baseline vision tended to lose more vision over a two-year period. They had a lot more vision to lose uh, than eyes that had uh, a worse baseline starting visual acuity. And in particular, uh, we broke this down into subgroups that I think are uh, clinically relevant from a quality of life perspective for our patients. Uh, one was looking at patients who started out with visual acuity of uh, better than 2040. And then seeing uh, their progression over 12 months and then over 24 months uh, to those that uh, declined below 2040 vision. Uh, and really across both cohorts and each of the subgroups, roughly about a third of the patients uh, at the end of two years uh, in the study, I had visual acuity of less than 20 over 40. And that's, that's a very important point. Uh, mind you, this is looking at data from only one eye. But... If this happened to be a patient better seeing eye, you're talking about driving vision. Uh, that's that's significant for our patient's autonomy, for quality of life. If uh, they're losing that ability to drive in just over a two-year period, when they have, they have started from the beginning of the study period as having what we would consider to be great vision. As you just said, you know that was a data set that was with eyes with the great vision. What about eyes with less than good vision? Yeah, and so another subgroup we were looking at was the categorical progression to visual acuity of 2200 or less at the conclusion of this period. And, and again, um, we saw that uh, roughly a third of these patients fell into this into this basket after a two-year period really across all the subgroups. And that, again, is important from a quality of life perspective because although it is in just one study eye, if this happens to be a patient's better seeing eye, now they meet the criteria for legal blindness. So that has very important ramifications as well. 
This is a boatload of data, and it might have been easy for some of our listeners to miss bits of it. So can you give us what the big data take-home points are for this study? Your high-level take-home points here. This is the largest retrospective database study uh, looking at real-world progression to geographic atrophy to date. So it provides some very useful, I think, uh, clinical pearls for our colleagues in our field and also to impart to our patients in terms of how this disease progresses. Uh, in general, we see that a large proportion of patients with geographic atrophy um, tend to have relatively preserved visual acuity at baseline. And then it's really over that ensuing one to two years that uh, a good portion of them, close to one third uh, of that group that initially had 20 or 40 better vision at baseline and then progressed to having less than 20 or 40 vision after a two year period. Um, another very important take home point here is the fellow eye status does matter. Having contra, having uh, the fellow eye with um, neovascular AMD does portend a higher risk of this eye, the study eye with geographic atrophy, going on to develop neovascular AMD, almost threefold higher incidence uh, in this our cohort one, uh, in our I'm sorry, in our cohort two over the cohort one during that two year period. Um, and then again, it, it's a, a very important uh, discussion point. It's worth mentioning that a, a large proportion of our patients in the study did not return for follow-up after two years. So this, this brings up some very important questions. Why is this and what can we do as a community and as a specialty to, to improve adherence to follow-ups? How does this data change the way you practice? It's made me, uh, in my own practice, much more mindful uh, that this patient uh, has a risk to maybe not return to this clinic. So uh, I do spend time counseling these patients, um, confirming that, yes, we currently don't have treatment for dry MD, but that we are working on new therapies, that some are on advanced clinical testing have looked promising thus far, uh, that maintaining your follow-up is very important because especially, again, based on the fellow eye status, their study eye, one or both of their eyes, may go on to progress to neovascular AMD, and for that we do have good treatment, and all of our body of literature has suggested that the sooner we do treat eyes uh, with progression to wet AMD, the better that patient can do. And then uh, another point is just to continue uh, routine ophthalmic care and screening for other comorbidities that may be present to help optimize our patient's vision however we can. We know that geographic atrophy currently is a major unmet clinical need in our field. It can significantly impact and alter the quality of life and vision for our patients. But any other ways that we can potentially optimize our patient's vision to keep them functioning at a high level and help them keep their autonomy, uh, that's what our job is, at least until we get good therapies that are efficacious and help uh, preserve the visual acuity to come out on the marketplace. Dr. Rahimi, thank you for speaking with us. John Greg, thank you so much for having me on. That's all from us for this episode. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. Make sure to also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us in those search criteria. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.